0: So Matthew and Luke both give us an account of this centurion and his tremendous faith. Typically, uh, Luke gives us a fuller account. Matthew abbreviates it somewhat. Um, We'll be drawing on both to a certain extent. And there are three things that I want to pull out of this today. Firstly, authority. Do we recognize the power and authority that Jesus has? Do we recognize his authority in our lives? Secondly faith. What does it mean to have faith? Why is that important and thirdly Inclusion, how can we know that we belong to God's family? What is the criterion for inclusion? So authority faith and Inclusion firstly authority. I think it's fair to say that most people don't encounter absolute authority at home or at work. Let's take our work life, for example. At work, uh, there may be people who we respect, and so we uh, accept and go along with their instructions. Or or, or we may have uh, a boss or a manager whose leadership uh, we don't appreciate quite so much, but their authority over us isn't absolute. Most workplaces tend to work along the lines of reciprocal cooperation doesn't always feel like that some of you uh, might feel that your boss is a total tyrant Uh, but the amount of authority that they have over your life is actually quite limited the military is somewhat of an anomaly because uh, the authority structures tend to be a lot more rigid so for example in the military if you're late for work you can be charged you can be fined uh, or you can have your weekend taken off you. Instead of going home, you, you have to stay, stay on camp uh, doing all the grotty jobs. And so in the military, when someone tells you to do something, you really feel the weight of the authority behind the order because the person given the order can actually have quite an impact on most areas of your life. And the, the main protagonist in today's passage, uh, apart from Jesus, is this Roman centurion. A, mil- a middle-ranking military officer based in Capernaum. Uh, a centurion would have commanded a century, which was made up of approximately 100 men, and they would have been paid 15 times as much as a regular soldier. So it's a fairly prestigious rank. Now the military today might seem somewhat draconian, uh, but life in the Roman army 2,000 years ago would have been far more so. Uh, This centurion most likely received regular orders from a commander based in Caesarea, which was about 80 kilometers away. And he, in turn, would have given orders to those under his command. There was no element of choice in any of this. You receive your orders and you carry them out. That was it. Now, no human being has absolute authority over another. uh, But this came pretty close the Roman army 2,000 years ago. And when we hear the word authority, we often, I think, tend to think of it in negative terms. And that's because we probably all know people who have abused their authority. Maybe the word authority makes you think of a particularly unpleasant boss or a world leader a dictator. Uh, But Jesus has absolute authority. In fact, Jesus is the only one with absolute authority and there is nothing negative about jesus's authority quite the opposite because jesus exercises his authority with the utmost love and compassion and in his great love for us uh, he gives us free will jesus will never force us to submit to his authority we must do so of our own volition but why wouldn't we submit to jesus's authority in our lives If Jesus is loving and powerful and sovereign, then surely he can help us to manage our lives better. I expect uh, all of us at some point or another will have had the experience of running around trying to do a million things and we get so busy and our heads are so full of stuff that even something as basic as prayer can go out the window. And then we wonder why our lives uh, feel like they're out of control. How bad do things have to get before we submit to Jesus's authority in our lives? As a pastor, sometimes uh, people will say to me, my life is in a mess. Well, if your life is in a mess, uh, have you thought about bringing it under new management? Have you thought about putting your life under Jesus's authority, not partially, but fully? To what extent are we willing to, to put our faith in Jesus and in his authority to what extent do we recognize that jesus has the power to change things there's no doubt that this centurion he understood how authority works he says i myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me i'll tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes and i say to my servant do this and he does it imagine if we responded to jesus's authority with that kind of obedience jesus gave us all sorts of commands the gospels are full of them And again, when we think of commands, we tend to think, oh no, uh, this is really going to weigh me down. But Jesus's commands are not a whole load of extra stuff that we've got to try and squeeze into our lives. They don't burden us. In fact, it's completely the opposite. Following Jesus's commands will result in a more fruitful, fulfilling and balanced life. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Following Jesus will certainly mean reordering our priorities It'll mean changing our mindset and our perspective, but it doesn't mean buckling under the weight of impossible expectations. Following Jesus is wonderfully liberating. So next we're going to look at the issue of faith. This passage is not about the fact that the centurion understood what authority is and how it works. Everyone in the Roman army would have understood authority. What's remarkable here is the centurion puts his faith in Jesus's authority, which he believes to be absolute. And we would agree with him. Jesus's authority is absolute. Of course, we don't know where the centurion's uh, faith came from, but from. From Luke's gospel, we know that he'd lived in Capernaum for a while. Um, he was sympathetic to the Jews there. In fact, he'd helped them to build their synagogue. Presumably, he'd provided finance or ma- manpower or both. He may have been what the book of Acts describe as a God-fearer. And when a non-Jew, a Gentile, is described uh, in these terms, it means someone who worships the God of Israel, but who hasn't yet been under God in full conversion. Now, it's worth remembering that Jesus was based in Capernaum. He used to stay at Peter's family home there. In fact, uh, the remains of what is believed to be Peter's house can still be seen in Capernaum. You can visit them. Um, So it's possible that the centurion had witnessed Jesus's miracles. And if he'd not witnessed them, then he certainly would have heard first-hand accounts because the centurion and Jesus were cutting around Capernaum at the same time. Uh, And so when his servant falls ill, and the implication is that he's very likely to die, he's uh, paralyzed and he's suffering terribly, the centurion knows where to go for help. He goes to Jesus. He explains the situation And Jesus says to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion instinctively knows that that won't be necessary, because not only does he understand authority, but he recognizes the kind of authority that Jesus has. He knows that Jesus can heal his servant without even going to his house. He's also showing uh, respect for Jewish sensibilities, because if a Jew were to go into a Gentile home, uh, then it would make them ceremonially unclean. Uh, What's more, in spite of his rank, his relatively high status, he's extremely humble. He says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. What incredible faith this centurion has. Throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus says and does all kinds of things that surprise people. Well, here we have one of the few examples of Jesus being surprised. Matthew tells us he was amazed. Isn't it wonderful that we worship a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful and yet still has the capacity to be amazed? Jesus is amazed by this Gentile centurion who has a better grasp of who he is than the Jews themselves who had eagerly anticipated the arrival of their Messiah for hundreds of years. And I think the, the, uh, the, there's a parallel in the church today. There might be someone who's been in the church all their life, uh, but they still don't understand the gospel. They still don't understand the good news of Jesus Christ. It has no real impact in their lives. Uh, then you have someone who's literally just come to faith, and they totally get it, and you can see it by the way that they live. Jesus responds to the centurion's amazing faith with these words. Truly, I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so we come to the matter of inclusion. Uh, The Jews believed and still believe that God's promises were exclusively for them. In other words, you've got to be Jewish to belong to God's family. Uh, But as I said the other week, God's dealings with humanity, God's saving work, funnel outwards from one man, Abraham, to one family, to one nation, and then with Jesus to the whole of humanity. Actually, there are loads of hints in the Old Testament that God always intended to bring people from all nations into his family. So the new Israel includes all those who know and love Jesus or to put it another way all those who put their faith in Jesus which is exactly what the centurion did so the criterion for inclusion in God's family is not being Jewish and it's not doing all the right things remember that the centurion uh, helped the Jews to build their synagogue and yet it was his faith it was his faith that impressed Jesus It's not about our nationality. It's not about what we do. Inclusion is about having faith in Jesus. Of course that doesn't exclude Jewish people. All of the first Christians were Jews uh, and many Jews are still coming to faith today. Uh, But what it does mean is that anybody, anybody can be welcomed into God's family. And who could be a more unlikely candidate for inclusion in god's covenant people than a roman centurion not only was he a gentile but he was also an official of the regime from which the jews expected their messiah to free them for the early church this would have been a central confirmation that anybody who put their faith in jesus could be part of god's family and the first non-jewish believers the first gentile believers would have really needed to hear this And for us today, we need to know that our inclusion in Jesus's kingdom is based on nothing more and nothing less than faith. So if you're prone to thinking, I'm not good enough, or I don't really lead a very Christian life, I'm not the right kind of person. Just remember the Roman centurion who looked to be a total outsider. And yet Jesus included him on the basis of his faith. In fact, Jesus says many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, many outsiders, many Gentiles will be included on the basis of faith. Jesus is there talking about you and me. We're not Jewish, we're Gentiles. And we believe in Jesus by faith, along with countless millions of others. But Jesus goes on to say something which I think you'll agree is incredibly sobering. He says, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The subjects of the kingdom are the Jews. They are God's chosen people. But just as an outsider, a centurion, is included by faith, so many of God's chosen people will be cast out or excluded on the basis of their lack of faith. Just as many non-Jews, many Gentiles, will not enter God's kingdom because they refuse to put their faith in Jesus. Now this can be hard for us to hear, but we must remember that Jesus's words are not about exclusion, but inclusion. Jesus is massively increasing the boundaries of those who can share in his kingdom. He's increasing the boundaries to include the whole of humanity. Jesus loves us, he died in agony on a cross so that we can enter his kingdom, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. But if a person is willfully walking away from Jesus and his kingdom, well, how can he enter in? Uh, I mean, if there's a party happening and someone invites you and you say, "Nah, I don't want to go, and you go wandering off in the opposite direction. Well, obviously, all the while you're wandering off in the opposite direction, you're not going to go to the party. Jesus uses a very similar analogy in Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding banquet. Jesus here, um, in today's parable, uses the language of being cast out, but the situation he's describing is actually more akin to opting out. And God gives us the prerogative of doing that. God doesn't want anybody to opt out of His kingdom, but we do give that. We we are given uh, that choice. But let's uh, return to the idea that for the Jews being included as a member of uh, God's covenant people, as a ma- matter of national identity and culture and ethnicity, because actually the Christian church at various times and in various places has done a very similar thing. So in the 19th century, when the uh, when British colonial power was at its height, missionaries went out all over the world, Christian missionaries. They took the gospel to places where it had never been heard before. That is a good thing. Uh, but it was almost as if to be Christian, you had to be British. The new converts were expected to dress in the British style to subscribe to British social norms and etiquette and so on. But Christianity transcends culture. Of course, if someone converts to Christianity, then they leave behind any pagan religious beliefs and practices. But they don't need to dress in a certain way. They don't need to eat with a knife and fork instead of their hands or chopsticks or whatever don't need to stick to a certain style of music uh, for their worship. There is plenty of scope for cultural diversity within Christianity. Christianity is the culture that transcends all other culture and draws those cultures together. Hence, a Roman centurion can be just as much a part of God's family as a Jewish fisherman or an Iranian waiter, or a Nigerian doctor, or a Chilean miner, or a Russian teacher, or a Chinese builder, or whoever. The trouble is, human beings tend to notice the otherness of the people around them. Uh, often we can be very suspicious of people who are not like us, and so we start erecting invisible barriers. And as a church, we need to proactively, and I mean this church, uh, we need to proactively break down those barriers wherever we can. You know, it's all very well to say, come to our church and you'll receive a warm welcome. But welcomes can be fairly superficial. You can welcome someone and still kind of keep them at a safe distance. The question is, are we willing to include people in our lives? Because there is a big difference between welcoming someone and including them. Jesus was trying to make his mostly Jewish audience understand that Gentiles would be included in the kingdom. And we need to understand that people who are very different from ourselves will not only be included in an abstract kind of way. Okay, when we get to heaven, there'll be all sorts of people who are very different from us. No, people who are different from us will come to our church and praise God for that. We're already a really diverse group, and that is wonderful. It's a picture of what the church should look like. Uh, But I don't think it hurts to be reminded that we're not just called to welcome people, but also to include them. Look around you. No, seriously, look around you. We are all, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, the new Israel, the family of God. We are the church. Let's work on getting to know each other, on building mutually supportive relationships. Let's learn and grow in our faith together. Let's encourage each other. Let's hold one another accountable and let's take the good news of Jesus out into the world together. Of course, all these things take time, but let's maintain our resolve to be that kind of a church. So let's finish by reminding ourselves how this passage ends. Verse 13 says this, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Isn't it encouraging that this centurion, who was in many ways an outsider, was able to go to Jesus and receive what he asked for, the healing of his servant? He just had a simple, strong faith. And I think this is especially encouraging to new believers. You don't have to have been a Christian your whole life uh, to access the power of God. You don't need to fit into a certain pigeonhole or category for God to work in and through your life in very powerful ways. You just need a simple faith, faith in Jesus Christ. The centurion understood authority. He recognized that Jesus's authority is absolute, and he put his faith in Jesus. The result? He was commended by his faith, and his servant was healed healed instantly. Uh, What's more, Jesus made it clear that the only criterion for entry into his kingdom, is faith. Let us pray that our faith will be increased today, and as our faith increases, so we'll see the outworking of that in our lives, in our families, in our church, and in our community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful news that the, the gospel, the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, is for all of us. It's for people from every uh, nation and background and uh, ethnicity and walk of life. We thank you, Father, that you will b- welcome anyone into your kingdom, anyone who put their faith in your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that uh, we will, as a church, Adopt this spirit, not just of welcome, but of inclusion, of wanting to include people in our lives, of wanting to really live our lives together as Christians and to discern your will for our lives, our church, our church family, and to see that will come to fruition as we move forwards together. So, Father, we thank you that you have included us in your kingdom. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.